0: Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Dan 1132. This is episode 63. After a bit of a break since the last episode, I am going to be returning to the book and the subject that I was speaking about a couple of weeks ago in the, the week in between. I've been talking over the last number of weeks about the psychology of totalitarianism using Matthias de Smet's book of the same title. And a couple of weeks ago, I made reference to a book by Joshua Mitchell, called American Awakening, Identity Politics and Other Afflictions of Our Time. And like a couple of weeks ago, I was going through one section of the book for a group that I'm a part of that's doing regular readings from this book. And I was struck by the content of this one section in the conclusion of the book. And I would like to speak a little bit about that and speak about the the subject of identity politics in terms, in the terms that Joshua Mitchell uses in this section, which is section P of the book. Uh, and the title of the section is The Creature Man Who Always Looks for Shortcuts. And so he's speaking specifically about the issues of identity politics. And in that previous episode, I spoke about the, the concepts of the transgressor and the innocent and the scapegoat. And if you didn't hear that episode, you can, you can check that out. I believe it was episode 61, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Check that episode out uh, where I spoke about a letter that was written, published on the Aquila Report, but also referred to uh, the content of this book by Joshua Mitchell. And he speaks about identity politics as a perversion of... Christian doctrine, we could say, or Christian terminology, Christian understanding of concepts and ideals and ideas. Uh, So identity politics twists and distorts these ideals and ideas for uh, its own purpose and adherence of identity politics. Obviously, an ideology, as I mentioned before, uh, can't do things. It's an abstract thing. But those who, who hold to this ideology... So in, in in brief, I'll be talking about what identity politics does, but obviously it is adherence to identity politics who do these things and why we're going to see in this episode also why this is so important for us. It's important for us to be on guard against it, to be on guard against the the errors of identity politics, which will have... Uh, undoubtedly negative repercussions and negative uh, results in society where identity politics is being played and, and, and is being dominant as it is uh, today in the West, basically. Uh, so the dangers of identity politics and also how it plays out and how identity politics plays out in our lives and how it, it can impact us personally and I'm sure many of us share in experiences where this kind of identity politics has caused uh, extreme amounts of damage. So, the uh, as I mentioned, the, the the section is called "The Creature Man Who Always Looks for Shortcuts." It's so, what Mitchell says, and, and he rightly points out that that since the fall into sin, human beings have always looked for shortcuts to achieve. The goals that they set for themselves, or the, the goals that they have. And in this section, he points specifically to four hopes, or four goals that men have. And so he says these four hopes are these first of all, a second innocence after long immersion in a broken world. In the second place, a justice that is clean and without ambiguity. Thirdly, a security that cannot be undermined. And fourthly, a world wherein there are no more difficult labors. And, and these points are very important and they'll, they'll come back and we'll talk about how identity politics uh, makes promises or uh, that it can't keep and looks for shortcuts to achieve these goals, which are ultimately in this life unachievable. We can't get there from here. But I'll just repeat these four hopes. First of all, a second innocence after a long immersion in a broken world. Secondly, a justice that is clean and without ambiguity. Thirdly, a security that cannot be undermined. And fourthly, a world in which there are no more difficult labors. And when we think of these in these these hopes in in Christian terms and religious terms, obviously we're thinking of the hope for the future, an eschatological hope, a hope for the world to come. Looking forward to all of these things. These four hopes are central. That second innocence, a purity, being being completely cleansed from sin and the results of sin and not having to deal with those results anymore. Justice, perfect justice, clean, as he says, not ambiguous not with give and take or having to deal with lesser evils or to make choices between things that are are of varying levels of justice, but perfect justice. And then that security that can't be undermined. We live with insecurity. We live with all of our personal insecurities and then broader, uh, more widespread insecurities that affect all of us. But we know that in the world to come, that in Christ, we, are, we who are in Christ will receive that perfect security, that rest that the Bible talks about. And then a world wherein there are no more difficult labors. Now, this can be explained in another way as well, in which labor is no longer cursed. We know that labor is a positive thing. Work is a creation ordinance given to us by God. And we know that uh, in the, on the new earth, work is going to be an essential part of life, eternal life for God's people on the new, when, when we enter the new heavens and the new earth. So work itself is a blessing, but it's the curse on work that makes it difficult. So these are all hopes. uh, And Mitchell says that they're religious hopes. And, what ends up happening is that false religions, we could say, we could say that identity politics is one of those false religions, looks and has those same hopes, those religious type hopes, and look to shortcuts to achieve those goals. And so what, what promises does identity politics make and what are the shortcuts that identity politics offers? When it comes to this second innocence, well, they propound or, or propose a, a first innocence, and, and which is different than the biblical first innocence, the real true first innocence before the fall into sin. Adam and Eve created perfect and in the image of God. But according to identity politics— That first innocence, and I'm quoting uh, Mitchell right now, is to be found everywhere that is devoid of the white heterosexual man who gave us, quote-unquote, Western civilization. The first innocence existed in the pristine natural world before Western civilization emerged. Still exists in those regions of the globe where nature remains unstained by Western civilization or where other civilizations resist Western civilization. So pristine nature... And non-Western civilizations are, in those religious terms, innocent. They have always been, they always will be. Uh, and, And it's the Western civilization that is the transgressor. So because Western civilization destroyed that first innocence... It owes a debt to nature and to other civilizations, which it cannot repay unless it extinguishes itself, unless it it rids the world of its own, its very existence. And so the shortcut is, involves a number of steps, according to Mitchell, and I I think the points that he makes here are, are very good, very important. First of all, technology and industry must be removed or supplanted because they disrupt this pristine nature. So dirty fossil fuels must be, uh, the world must be rid of these dirty fossil, fu- fossil fuels. But also it goes deeper than that. We need to renounce Western history, institutions, states, borders, and privilege. Uh, they must be attacked until they succumb. History needs to be re-narrated, he said. So basically it's a rewriting of history. Uh, The inherited institutions of family and religion need to be upended. The task of politics needs to be shifted from developing uh, liberal competence, and that's a, a phrase that Mitchell uses often, liberal competence, the competence of the individual to be an active, contributing member of society. That's liberal competence. That task of politics needs to be shifted to purging transgressors and giving voice to the voiceless innocents, between quotation marks, who have not been heard. And then economic competition must be removed. All competition must be replaced by social justice and so-called cooperation. That includes some, but excludes free thinkers, earnest competitors, and those who are impatient or disgusted with the folly of man. So if you do all of these things according to identity politics then that that second innocence will be within our reach. And so there's there obviously there are many problems with this but one of the major problems that Mitchell points out is that identity politics looks for the source of the problem out there somewhere not within ourselves not to the depths of the problem as it exists within ourselves, the depth that we ourselves even are unable to plumb. We, we don't fully understand the, the shortcomings and even the wickedness of human beings. And so what identity politics does is it places the blame, it places the guilt outside of ourselves as mankind has been doing since the fall into sin. Our first father, Adam, blamed the woman that God gave to him for the fall. And since that time, we have been, as human beings, fallen human beings, according to our sinful nature, always seeking to blame others. And so the same thing is the case in identity politics. So the second point is, is that identity politics promises a shortcut to clean and unambiguous justice. But Mitchell also very rightly points out that human relations are never clean. Motives are never pure. And that point is so important for us. Even, even when we have the best motives, even when we're, we're, we're seeking to praise God by what we do, we're seeking to glorify God. Even in moments such, such as of communion with God, such as when we're, when we're praying, there are always mixed motives and there are these mixed motives can can uh, spring up or surge from time to time even when we're doing the, the what what we can uh, define as good works those are being done according to God's requirements those are that are be, de, being done to the glory of God and with that purpose in mind all of that in every action that we take there are mixed motives to a certain extent so there are never Mitchell says, there are never solutions to problems, only never-ending trade-offs between lesser evils and partial goods. We're never going to achieve the ultimate good in this life, rejecting one thing, accepting another thing, and therefore solving once and for all our problems. The cleanliness we achieve in one place is always achieved at the price of leaving a stain elsewhere. Justice in the world is never clean. Impatient with impurity and ambiguity, because they confirm that there are no quick opioid-like fixes to free us from the sober world as it is, the world rightly understood, identity politics tries to separate the wheat from the tares before the harvest. So, looking for perfection in this life, a perfection which is unattainable. But also, identity politics seeks security, a security that cannot be, be undermined. And there's so much insecurity in this world. We have personal insecurities. Uh, we we doubt ourselves, we worry, we're anxious. And then there as I mentioned before, there are these greater insecurities which which afflict societies in general. And what Mitchell says is that identity politics seeks to provide security through the person, a person's very identity itself. So according to identity politics, our identity is something that we can choose. It's actually something that we, as individuals, fabricate. So I can choose to identify as basically whatever I want to be. And that's, that's exemplified by gender, the gender ideology. The, the idea that I could say I identify as a woman... Now, you looking at me can see quite clearly uh, or hear quite clearly that I'm not, but I could identify as a woman and that identity is self-chosen. It's something that's within my power, my authority to do. I could say, I'm a woman, therefore you must acknowledge me as a woman. And, and sometime down the road, I could, I could change, my, change my mind about that, but that's okay because that's my authority the authority that I have over myself. So taking away this kind of uh, security or or giving this security, taking away insecurity by saying that we define who we are by choosing our identity, which can shift and change, be altered by surgery, by hormones, whatever we identify as, uh, we can... uh, we have that choice, and we, we we find our security in that identity. Now, that obviously uh, works especially well for those who are are classified among the innocents, for those who are classified among the transgressors, and specifically Mitchell points out to the white heterosexual male uh, that is impossible. But but the, the the goal of identity politics is to uh, to lift up the voiceless, between quotation marks, uh, to lift up those who are defined as innocent and give them that security. Now, as we continue, and as we go to the final problem or the final, final uh, hope that identity politics provides a shortcut for, we look at this world in which there are no more difficult labors. This world that we know, in which we have we have to sweat to earn our daily bread. In which we, we struggle with thorns and thistles. All of these things that came about, it's recorded in Genesis chapter 3. The results of the fall. How do we overcome that according to identity politics? Well, Mitchell says this. He says, in the world that identity politics constructs, evidence of a broken world must be eliminated in order to bring about a world that is not broken. And so this means that competition between persons, business enterprises, and nations must be eliminated so that the sting and humiliation of failure are no longer felt. And he goes on to say this, and he he says it very well. He says, Our sons and daughters must be taught to share and care, to please others, to collaborate. And if they are to compete at all, it cannot be on the unsupervised playground for fear of what that might unleash, but in the venue of parent-coordinated activities that domesticate them and prepare them for further domestication in our colleges and universities. So, building a non-competitive society. And so they point out that Western civilization, the, the adherents of identity politics point this out, that Western civilization has oppressed and marginalized non-Western civilizations. So they what they don't understand, Mitchell says, the adhered, adherence of identity politics, is that their attempt to put an end to relentless competition can only be indulged because Western civilization is currently without competitive peers. So this is only possible because of the ascendancy of Western civilization, which is which is the real irony behind all of this. And Mitchell points out correctly once again that that this search for substitutes or search for shortcuts is not something that's unique to identity politics. And I've spoken about it before in the podcast and earlier episodes. I, I point you to the the episode on utopias that this is this is a common characteristic of utopian. Thinking. Throughout history, Mitchell says, man has sought to avoid the longer ways his humble station requires him to walk. So, identity politics is not unique in that sense, but there is a way in which it is unique, and that is the shortcut that it proposes. Mitchell says, in an ironic twist befitting the creature man, who always looks for shortcuts, identity politics finds the Christian shortcut too difficult to endure for it demands that man be hard on himself and admit both his stain and his inability to remove it without divine assistance. So admitting the fact that we are all transgressors, each and every one of us, that there exists a category of the innocent, but that category is held by one man and one man alone, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are the transgressors. There are. There is the innocent, that is the way towards realizing these hopes, the, the we could say the glorious, the blessed hopes for the future. So Mitchell goes on to say, the various shortcuts identity politics offers do not require that man be hard on himself. They require only that white heterosexual man be hard on himself. The rest are innocents who find a shortcut to purity by scapegoating him. It is he who stands in the way of a second innocence after long immersion in a broken world, a justice that is clean and without ambiguity, a security that cannot be undermined, and a world wherein there are no more difficult labors. But Mitchell also recognizes that after the the transgressor, this transgressor, this particular transgressor is eliminated, there will have to be other transgressors there will have to be other enemies to come in place of that transgressor he'll be purged but others will take his place so group after group looking to the future will be will be placed on the sacrificial altar to bear the sins of the world and to give the ever dwindling groups of innocents the shortcut they need and so he he says we can we can strain our imagination and envision a distant future in which a few remaining innocents they've read In the ancient archives, the chronicle of the successive purging, they begin to wonder, they wonder aloud, why transgression and debt still haunt them at night. Then, with the devastating clarity that seems so often to emerge only in the aftermath of needlessly inflicted suffering, they will perhaps begin to grasp that the shortcut that purging other groups promised will never in fact relieve them of their burden, which arises from causes within themselves that that can barely Uh, they can barely name let alone command man always misses the mark he says and the that that missing the mark is uh, a definition of one of the biblical new testament words for sin which is hamartia in greek and that was the name given for this by the inch ancients original sin is the christian term for this mystery identity politics declares that there is no original sin, only an original sinner. And that is its shortcut. So Mitchell does go on, but that's really what I wanted to focus on. The, these, the, the hopes that all of us, the universal hopes that, that all of us have, and the, the hopes that, that are really only make sense and are only satisfied According to the truth, which is the true teaching of Scripture and what God has revealed to us, these hopes are within us. This this hope for a future in which there is perfect justice, in which labor is not not painful and does not cause suffering, uh, in which there is not this constant struggle, this constant constant battle, and of purity and perfection. There is that hope, and that hope is real, and that hope is can only be be realized in Jesus Christ. So identity politics as a perversion of Christian teaching seeks that, seeks to realize those hopes in this life and thus can only, as all utopias will, can only result in disaster. So once again, I'm going to, as I did a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to recommend this book, which I'm holding up for those of you who are watching on Rumble, American Awakening. Identity Politics and Other Afflictions of Our Time by Joshua Mitchell. Highly recommend this book for those who want to learn more about identity politics and how we as Christians should face identity politics, how we can combat it, and how we can stand for the truth in the face of this lie which is which has become so prominent, so dominant in our society and has even entered the evangelical church in in so many ways by people who often unwittingly take on the language and the ideas of identity politics because they seem to mesh with Christian language and Christian ideals but in reality they are uh, there there may be a kernel of truth there but it's wrapped up in this big lie which is incredibly destructive and incredibly dangerous. So on that note, I'm going to stop for now. And uh, once again, I I recommend the reading of this book and and I recommend considering the importance of this subject and identity politics and how uh, we as Christians uh, should reject the, the tenets of identity politics, the presuppositions of identity politics, understand the dangers of it and work to fight against it. So my prayer as always is that God will bless our efforts to combat these false ideologies to stand firm and to take action in the words of Daniel eleven verse thirty two to do whatever we can with the power of the Holy Spirit giving us wisdom as we seek wisdom from God and he promises to give it to us uh, as we shed light and shine a light on these movements and how and when we begin to see more and more how they are distortions of the the truth. The, they're distortions of reality. And they are really being used by the father of lies who uses these lies to lead people astray. If you found this helpful, please do pass on the link to the Rumble channel or to the audio podcast, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or Wherever it is that you're listening to the podcast, my prayer is that it serves as a blessing for you and for others, and that all of us will be encouraged and strengthened in our faith, in our faith in the truth, not these these distortions of the truth, and that we will stand firm and take action. Until next time.